We praise our God and thank Him for His continual blessings and kindness, for His mercy. And it's good to, to be able to say and to say right now that we are thankful to God for His kindness and for His mercy. And as Brother James brought out, and that we love our Lord. We love the Lord. It's a song that was sung. We praise our God. We thank our God. We love our God. And we're thankful for this day today that God has granted to us. Let's please go to our great God in prayer. Our merciful and kind, wonderful and magnificent God in heaven, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We praise you. We love you. We thank you. Thank you so very much for considering us, for thinking of us, for sending your great son, Jesus, to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary that we might live. Thank you, Lord God, for protecting us and keeping us safe. Thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to have our sins forgiven. And thank you, Lord God, for your patience with us. We ask that you will remember us. And we pray, Lord God, that you will bless our worship this morning, praying that all things that will and have been said and done, we pray, Lord God, they have been said and done in a manner that is pleasing and acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we do pray and thank thee to be thy will. We pray these things. Amen. Revelation, please, chapter 2. This this morning, um, we're going to begin... Speaking on the seven churches of Asia, um, we're going to start with Ephesus. And this morning's title for our lesson is, The Honeymoon is Over. And we'll get to that reason in just a moment. But the church at Ephesus was established on Paul's first missionary journey. Ephesus was the most important city in the province of Asia, which occupied uh, the western part of the country known to us today as as Turkey, and it was the greatest harbor and the wealthiest city in Asia. And Brother Lawrence did a great job giving us history uh, in, in our studies uh, on, you know, uh, Ephesus in, in that particular town. It's a free city. But because Ephesus was so free, it was a stronghold of Satan. It was the center of Diana worship or Artemis. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Acts 19 verse 34 tells us that. This is where the fertility goddess was worshipped, as well as a major banking system. Through this evil, evil existed, but yet the church at Ephesus stood strong. And we're some 30 plus years by the time the book of Revelation is written, and this passage that we're reading that comes from God. Revelation 2 and verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Now, as I said before, we're going to do what the Bible wants us to do, what we, what any teacher would do, allow the Bible to interpret itself. So what are the seven stars and the lampstands? So we'll go back to chapter 1. In verse 20, as a review and a reminder, the Bible says, As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And Jesus says, I hold the seven angels of the seven churches in my right hand. Jesus was the one who walked amidst or amongst, if you will, the seven 
churches. We're going to go back to chapter 1 and we'll begin at verse 11 to get context about the author, about Jesus Christ. Saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were like white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came the sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death in Hades. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So Jesus Christ reminds the church at Ephesus and the readers of the book of Revelation that he is in complete and total control. And Jesus says something in chapter 2, verse 1. This is what he says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, to the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. In other words, Jesus says, I have something to say to you. When Jesus wants to say something, we ought to listen. So, in chapter 2, in verse 2, we're going to first look at verses 2, verse 3, and verse 6. And we're going to grab the positive of the church at Ephesus. Uh, the things that they're doing that's good. Verse 2 says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. So, first point. I know, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. I know your deeds. It's good to know that Jesus knows our deeds. It's good to know that God is so involved in our lives that he knows what we're doing. He knows what we are thinking. And in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You see the connection in Revelation 2 uh, of Jesus, the sword, the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. All that's referring to Rome, if you will. The two-edged sword, he says, and piercing as far as the vision of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom you have to do. So Jesus says, your deeds are present before me. I know 
your deeds. I know what you are doing. I know and understand your toil. I understand and know that you are doing your best to fight the good fight of faith. And I know this. I know the devil has been knocking at your door for a while. I know that he's been trying to get you to fall away from the faith. I know what you are going through. And why does he know? Because he's been there. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. For shortly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. So Jesus says, I walk amongst you in flesh and blood. Chapter 4 and verse uh, 15, the Bible says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we, and yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in the time of need. I know, because I've been there. I know your toil. I know your perseverance. I know that it's been tough. I know that living for Christ is not necessarily an easy thing. And yet you have been faithful to me amidst all the great opposition and persecution that Rome has brought upon you. I know your perseverance, right? Through your life, though there has been trouble on every side, and I know all about it, you're persevering. You're fighting the good fight of faith. You have been going through some very difficult things. And I know this. In church today, we might, we might say, Lord, do you know what we're going through? And Jesus would say, I know. I know everything that you are going through right now. Some in the world are, are saying, Lord, do you, do you understand? I'm struggling uh, on, on my job. I'm struggling with this, this new norm. I'm trying to get used to something that's, that's new. Jesus, do you understand? And Jesus would say, I understand. I know. I've been there. So someone might say, preacher, I, I've lost my job and, and I don't know which way to go. And I'd say, Jesus knows that. Preacher, uh, there's sickness around us and people are struggling and body aches and pains. And Jesus would say, I know that, son. Someone might say, my marriage is in jeopardy right now. And Jesus would say, hold on. Some might say that right now in my life, my children, well, my children are more disobedient than I thought. (laughs) I just got to get out of this place. And Jesus would say, I know. I understand. But you've got to stay faithful. And you gotta stay true to the Lord because He knows. Church at Ephesus, I know what you are going through. Here's what Ephesus learned. Ephesus learned that good things don't always come easy. I mean, we love the easy road, but good things don't always come easy. Jesus says, I know that you put to the test. Turn to 1 John, please. Chapter 1. 
you have put to the test these men that uh, call themselves apostles and are not. These are evil men. You put them to the test, and here's what you found out. You've discovered that they're trying to lead you astray. So amidst the persecution and the sickness and the, and the troubles and all the other things, you also have men trying to lead the church astray. Brethren, let me tell you something that's very practical and very applicable from Revelation 2 verse 2. Now right now, don't you realize that Satan knows how much we're surfing the web? Be careful. Be careful. And you see, the text is saying, I know that you're putting men to the test who call themselves apostles, but are not. Jesus says, I, I want you to make sure you're careful when you search the web and you start listening to things and you start hearing things from the web and preachers and, and all over the world of all walks of life. I want you to be careful because Satan is trying to lead us astray as well. So they took seriously the message that John the Apostle told them earlier by way of inspiration in chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming. And now it is already in the world. Be careful as you search the web. Right? As we're looking for, turn to Second Timothy, please, chapter, uh, chapter 4. As we're looking for a message of hope, be careful where you get that message from. Actually, First Timothy, chapter 4. Be careful because Satan is disguising himself as a good person. In the midst of our persecution, in the midst of, I shouldn't say persecution, forgive me, uh, Ephesus, in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of our pandemic, Satan is looking for the weak. And he wants to destroy us and devour us and weaken us so that when all this is over, so we find ourselves staying out in the world, led astray by the devil. Be careful. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter time some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of hypocrisy, uh, liars seared with their own conscience as with a branding iron. Be careful. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us as He spoke to Timothy, as He spoke to the saints in that day. Be careful because men are going to fall away. And it's because of the, the deceitfulness of Satan. It's because of the lying devil who lives and exists to this day. Please turn to Second Corinthians chapter 11. And here's what he does. He disguises himself. He disguises himself as an angel of light. And there were a lot of false teachers in that day. And brethren, there are a lot of false teachers today. You know what's amazing about the, the internet is that it's the world wide web. So it used to be you, you only had to concern yourself with things going on in your neighborhood, right? Or maybe even in your, in your state or in your city. But now we have to concern ourselves with Satan who's working through the whole world and every individual could have access to this false teacher right in our living rooms, 
It's like bringing the drug into the home. Be careful. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13. The Bible says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. And that word servant is the idea of ministers. Be careful because Satan has people out there striving for this one very thing, to lead us astray, right? To discourage us, to cause us in our hearts to walk away from the God in whom we this morning confess that we love. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. The church at Ephesus Stayed strong. Go back, please, to Revelation chapter 2. They they would not give in. They held fast righteousness and living the way Jesus expected them to. In verse 3, And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. You see, they were a congregation who stuck with, they stuck with it. You know, they waited on the Lord, and God, God, He blessed them and brought them through. Please turn to Acts chapter 20. One might say He gave them wings like eagles to, to be able to continue to hold fast the message and to hold fast the things that God has commanded of them. And then they took seriously the message that Paul gave to the, the elders, if you will, uh, of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. They held that fast. They took it seriously in verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. He says, you know, you got, I'm, I'm telling you that Satan is coming for you. Hold fast. Revelation, please, chapter 2. Satan is coming for all of us. Satan's here. Satan has a desire to destroy us. But God is stronger than Satan. And there's something that every church member has to learn. And that is to think the way God thinks. To see things the way that God sees them. Well, the church at Ephesus, they learned that. In verse 6, verse 6, Yet this do I have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. See, the church at Ephesus, turn to Proverbs chapter 8, please. The church at Ephesus learned something. They learned to hate what God hates. And we don't even like to use the word hate, but God uses the word hate. We have to learn to hate what God hates. Proverbs 8 and verse 13. The church at Ephesus learned that. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. 
pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth. I hate. Psalm 97. Church, do we hate evil or do we relish in it? Do we love it? Do we love it for what it does for us? Me personally, individually? Or do we hate what God hates? And I'm sad to say, I don't know that we do. I don't know that the church generically, or even the world, has learned to really hate what God hates. You can go to Proverbs 6 and gain all the information about what God hates in other places. But Psalm 97 and verse 10, Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who perseveres, excuse me, who preserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Do I truly hate evil? Okay. Back to Revelation, please, chapter 2. So, they did very well. They did very, very well at uh, ensuring they held fast the doctrine. Some time had passed. And you, you know, you know what happens when uh, we get married, and, you know, and, and we're doing great, and we're so in love. Not that we're not in love now, and but you know, when the honeymoon's over, <laughs> we, we don't do the things that we used to do, right? I mean, you know, there was a time, and I'm, I'm not saying this, I, I shouldn't even say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a time when I used to open the door for my wife. I just, you know, kids come along, I jump. I think Brother James is the only one that still opens the door. <laughs> Praise God for him. <laughs> right. But the honeymoon is is over. And during the honeymoon period, you know, of the relationship, um, everything is done right, right? And it's wonderful. And, and things that aren't done right are overlooked. And, and we do everything out of love right but 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 as as time goes on in, in the relationship the honeymoon period begins to wear away and some have said you know my my, my spouse has said i don't do things like i used to or or i you know there was a time when we used to do this but we no longer do that the honeymoon period goes away and the church at ephesus they did well they were fighting the good fight of faith and they had become so rigid in in what they knew to be true that something terrible happened. Verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. See, they, they didn't lose their first love. They left it. And there is a difference. And when the love for Jesus is no longer there, brethren, that's a problem. When the love for the brethren has faded away, that is a problem. When our love for humanity is no longer there, that, brethren, is a problem. When the work that we do, we do for the Lord, it's a labor of love. When that labor of love fades away, that is the problem. Think about 
the church today in comparison to yesterday. Think about your life. Think about what you used to do for the Lord. And then compare that to what you are doing for the Lord now. Has your love grown weak? And though you may come and say, yes, I'm a member of the church of Christ, and I'm holding fast the doctrine I'm holding fast that which I know to be true and right. But is your love still there? Is the fire in your heart still burning? Is your love for Jesus and your fellow man still burning? I mean, think about that for just a moment. Think about how... How love in, in, in America has tremendously grown cold. I mean, it's cold. And it's rubbing off on the members of the church. It is so sad to see. Brother, may I just say, turn to First Corinthians chapter 13. May I say this? See, we might have the doctrine right, but it's not just about doctrine. You see, if what we're doing is not done out of love, <laughs> you know, then... It's meaningless. I mean, it's not just about holding true and punching the clock. It's not just about getting baptized into Christ and walking away. It's not about that. It's about holding true to Christ in love and not allowing our love to grow cold. And everything that we do is motivated by our love for Jesus, by our love for God, by our love for each other. But when our love for humanity grows weak, you can claim Christianity all you want to. Paul says you're nothing more than a noisy gong. It has to be done in love. So Jesus said, you're doing this right. You've got all this stuff. You, I mean, you're doing this and you're doing that and you hate what I hate and, and you're, you're wonderful. However, I've got something against your church. You've left your first love. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, I do not have love. I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. And the list goes on and on. Brethren, if your Christianity does not possess an agape your love for God. You got a long way to go. And I know we might say, well, preacher, how many of us have a true agape your love for the Lord? And the point that I'm trying to make is that's how high the bar is. Keep reaching for the love of Jesus. We can't have all love and no doctrine. You can't have all doctrine and no love. You got to have both of them together in service to the Lord. The church at Ephesus had all the doctrine right. But they left their First love. Church, where will we be in 20 years? I mean, in 20 years, we could be rigid and we could be this and that. But if we don't have love, we lose that 
that community that God has established. We lose that relationship that God expects of us. When we look out into the world and we see what the world's doing, that's the absence of love. Don't let that come into the church. Sadly, that's coming to the church, brother. We've got to get back to the love that we have for humanity, the love that we have for the brethren, and the love that we have for God. I have this against you. Back to Revelation, please. Chapter 2. That you have left your first love. And then God says this in verse 5. Here's the solution. Remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else. I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Did he come? These are called, when you read passages like this and you go back into the Old Testament, you learn that when Jesus says he's coming, as in the Old Testament, these are called judgments in time. It's not the judgment at the end of the world. It's a judgment in time. It's a specific judgment that God has placed upon an individual person or a group of people in a certain era of time and God brings a judgment upon them or a consequence for their sinful actions and their sinful ways and Jesus tells the church at Ephesus if you don't get it together and you don't get this love back under control I am coming and I'm going to remove your lampstand make a change repentance see we hear the gospel we believe it thank God for that and then we, we are willing to repent, right? Turn our lives around. We make a, a, a turn. We turn from wickedness and evil to the Lord. We turn in godly sorrow. And then we, we confess his name before men. And then we're baptized, immersed in water for the remission of our sins. And we stay true to God. But in the Christian life, there is forever confession and repentance. And God is calling the church at Ephesus to repentance. You've got to repent and turn your life around and get back to doing the deeds that you did at first. Church, I, I don't know the answer to this question, but what deeds did you do at one time that you are no longer doing today? I know some things are changed because of age, and I understand that. But am I really zealously serving the Lord in the way today that I once did years ago. God says, get back to remember your dedication and commitment that you had to the Lord. God says, get back to the submission that you once shared, if you will, with the Almighty. Get back to your zeal, the zeal that we had for the Master. Get back to the love of your neighbor the love of the church, the love of the members of the body of Christ. Go back to the prayer life that you once enjoyed with Jesus Christ. Remember from where you have fallen and get up and go back to do the things that you used to do. Back to giving like you used to. Giving of yourself, giving of your means. Get back to the relationship that you have with God. And brethren, social distancing is not an excuse. It's not an excuse. We've got to go back to what we used to do because like Ephesus, just as Ephesus, God says if you don't go back to doing what you're supposed to do, what you used to do before the honeymoon period was over, 
I just might come and remove your lampstand. Church, how critical it is in our service to the Lord to repent. Verse 7, he says, here's reward. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, God says, don't turn me off. <laughs> don't turn me off. Church, church at Ephesus, if, if you're listening, I need you, to, need you to listen. Don't turn me off. He who has an ear, let him hear what the, the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You see, they were facing persecution, nearing their death every day. And they were doing some right things. God said it himself. But brethren, they became so so bitter, you know, it became so harsh that they left the most important part, or should I say equally important, but most important part in their lives right now, they left their first love. How much do you love God? You see, when we ask ourselves the question, uh, when this is all over, you know, will the, will the church be just as strong? Will, will all the members come back? And you know the question, the question really isn't whether we will physically do it, The question really is, how much does the church individually love God? Because that's what brings us back. So the question this morning uh, that I ask you, uh, and we think about our relationship to the Lord, is, is the honeymoon over? And I pray God it's not. And if it is, there's a simple solution that God has given to us. And the simple solution is this. Repent. Remember the deeds you used to do turn around and go back and do them again. God bless you. Thank you for your time this morning. We praise our God and we love you.